0: and fellowship one with another, welcome our visitors. setter ushers come forward to receive our offering and as they do so let me just quickly make mention of two or three things tonight in the evening service uh, the Higginbotham family is going to be back with us and they were with us last year this is a couple that family that works with the indians in in oklahoma and they were a real blessing to us last year and they'll be back tonight in the service so you don't want to forget the evening service and then of course we have three super sundays that are going on last sunday was revival sunday and what a Great day we had last Sunday, what a great week we had. Uh, The Lord just blessed and moved, and if you missed the revival, you certainly missed a blessing. Just a great week. But the next Sunday, is Super Sunday, is Easter Sunday, and that's a couple of weeks away, and we're anticipating a great day. have something special planned that night. The choir will be doing something special, and also Brother Squire Parsons will be with us, uh, joining us, and so that's going to be special, so you want to mark that on your calendar. And Jim, you still plan, is it? This Sunday, or Saturday, you need folks? What time you need everybody? 9.30. Jim and Jan are getting ready to go back to Nigeria. And he is uh, loading a container to ship all of his material and the curriculum and all that kind of stuff back to Nigeria. And so he needs a number of men to help him Saturday to load the container. you want us to just meet you here at 9.30 or what? All right, we'll get the uh, address and everything so uh, several of you men we need several now and uh, so if you can help us next saturday the more we have the quicker we can get that thing loaded and uh, get the ammonites out of here amen we appreciate jim and jan love them and uh, saturday morning nine thirty. mark your calendar so you can help us let's pray father bless the offering today continue to open our hearts to all you're doing in the service in jesus name amen
1: They just lost their dear Came in my soul. <laughs> and because of that, every day I have the privilege of coming into the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And no matter where I'm at, whether I'm going down the road in the car or in my quiet place, I know that He'll meet me there. And in His presence there is fullness of joy in the presence of Jehovah.
2: despair
0: I want you to take God's Word and be finding 2 Peter chapter 3, if you would please. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at one verse of Scripture. And I want to share with you this morning the thought, leaving the door open. Would you stand, please, as we honor the public reading of God's Word? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Again, we're thinking this morning about leaving the door open. Choir sung about the Lord coming again. we are going to see the Lord Jesus one of these days, and I just want to remind you of that promise and look at it in light of what Peter has to say.
3: Look at verse 9, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Scripture said, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come
0: to repentance. Now let me read that verse to you again. Listen to it, Second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count
3: slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. To repentance. Thank you, to Let's pray. This morning, let's think about leaving the door open. We'll look at 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Work our way through that one verse of Scripture today and share with you a few thoughts that are upon my heart. Our Father, this morning in Jesus' name, we once again come to you in prayer. And we come because we need you and we come because we want you. We thank you, Lord, that we can enter into your very presence. What a privilege we have through prayer. And so, Father, as we come to you this morning, come to the throne of grace, to our high priest, to our great God, we ask you now that you might help us for the next few moments, that you might touch us, me and the congregation, that, Father, you would give us what is needed both to share the Word of God and to hear the Word of God. I pray now that you'll take this truth of God this morning that has been placed upon my heart open it to all of our understanding, deal with us now, and we'll thank you and praise you for it's in Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake we ask these things. Amen. I remember a number of years ago on ABC Evening News, they reported on an unusual piece of modern art. I guess you could call it modern art. That's what they called it. But it was an unusual piece of art. What it was was a chair. And affixed to this chair was a shotgun. And the way you view this particular piece of so-called modern art was by sitting in the chair and looking directly into the gun barrel. The gun was set on a timer and was set to go off sometime in an undetermined or unknown uh, particular period of time within the next 100 years. Now, here's what was so amazing. People waited in lines to sit in the chair and to stare into the barrel of that gun, knowing all of them knowing that that gun could go off at any moment. And every person that sat down in that chair was gambling that the gun would not go off during his or her moment in that chair. Now, I ask you this morning, you don't have to respond to me, but I wonder how many in this room today would sit down in that chair I know what most of you would say, no, I'm not that big of a fool. I wouldn't do that. But yet I would say to you this morning that there are people who are practically doing the same thing every day of their life. And what they're doing is they're gambling with their soul and they're gambling with their eternal destiny. You see, the Bible tells us that one of these days, Jesus Christ is coming again. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ could return at any moment. But yet there are many that fail to heed that warning, and there are many that are unprepared if Jesus Christ were to come back this day. Knowing that the Lord could return at any moment, yet remain unsaved, is just as foolish as sitting down in a chair with a shotgun set on the timer, ready to go off at any moment. I think about the coming of the Lord and how I believe that Jesus Christ is soon to come. But what is so tragic is that so many are not ready for the return of Jesus Christ. I think about a poem. There's an interesting twist to the poem "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." And you're all familiar with that poem. But someone has taken it and 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 has changed it and entitled it, "'Twas the Night Before Jesus Came." And this is the way they've wrote it. "'Twas the night before Jesus came." And all through the house, not a creature was praying, no, not one in the house. The Bibles were laid, their Bibles were laid on the shelf without care in hope that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressing to crawl in the bed, not one ever kneeling or bowing ahead. Bowing ahead. And mom in a rocker with a baby on her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the wind I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear, but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment this must be the day. The light of His face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like He said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life which he held in his hand was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. And when he said, It's not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love, he gathered to take to the Father above. With those who were ready, he arose without a sound while all the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long and thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only we had been ready tonight. The words of this poem, the meaning is clear, the coming of Jesus is drawing near, and there's only one life, and when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. You see, when we think about Jesus coming again, it is a glorious thought for those that are saved, but a tragic thing for those that are unsaved. You might say there are two great tragedies in life. One is dying without Jesus Christ, and the other is being left behind when Jesus Christ returns. Well, you notice in our text in 2 Peter 3 that Peter talks about the return of the Lord Jesus. And as he does so, he hints at those that are unprepared, and those that could be left behind when Jesus comes. So let's look at 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 and think about this thought, leaving the door open. I point out these truths to you. The first thing that I want you to notice in the text is this. When I look at 2 Peter 3, 9, I am drawn to the promise of God, the promise of God. In the third chapter, 2 Peter, you'll find... That the subject is the return of Jesus Christ that's what he's dealing with the context of 2nd Peter 3 9 has to do with the return of Jesus but in verse 9 he specifically makes reference to the promise of Jesus Christ coming again now notice what he had to say about this promise the first thing that I point out to you is this you see the announcement of his return the announcement of his return notice these words in verse 9 peter spoke about the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness now you don't underscore won't you underscore the word promise for just a moment the word promise that peter uses here is a word that literally describes an announcement what peter is telling is in verse 9 is that the lord has announced that he will come again if you take your bible and look at your bible you'll find the time and time again Repeatedly, repeatedly, you'll find that the Bible announces the return of Jesus Christ. It has been said that there are over 1,845 references to it in the Old Testament alone. And a total of 17 Old Testament books gives the matter of our Lord's return prominence. Out of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, it is said there are 318 references to the second coming, or one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament has to do with the return of Jesus Christ. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to the coming of Jesus Christ. For every prophecy on the first coming of Jesus, there are eight on the second coming of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is this, over and over the Bible repeatedly announces that Jesus Christ is coming again. Our Lord Himself said in John 14, 3, that if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again. There is the announcement of His return. Jesus announced that He would come. The Bible announces that Jesus Christ Christ will return. But you not only see the announcement of his return, but second of all, you see the assurance of his return. For notice these words. He said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. I'll underscore the word slack for just a moment. The word slack there is a word that has the ideal of being tardy with the ideal of being late. Peter is telling us in verse 9 that the Lord is going to come. And he's telling us that he will come just like he said. It's a promise. It is an announcement. And Peter is assuring us that he will return and he will not be tardy, that he will not be one moment late. Matthew 24, 36 said, of Of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, I realized this morning that we do not know the day or the hour that our Lord will return We do know that it has been determined by God and we do know that that moment has been scheduled by the Father No, man knows that hour no man knows that day and I would just insert here Always beware of anybody that tells you they do know when Jesus Christ will come again but I will say this we may not know the hour and we may not know the date when Jesus Christ will come again, but you can mark this down. He will come again, and he'll come just like he promised, and he'll not be one moment late. I was reading not too long ago, back in October of 1992, the uh, capital city of South Korea virtually shut down, awaiting the rapt- waiting for the rapture. Say, so what do you mean? There was a gentleman by the name of Jang Rim, uh, Lee Jang Rim of of South Korea's Dami Mission. And he had made the prediction that Jesus Christ was going to come at midnight on October the 28th. That was in 1992. Over 1,000 people gathered at the mission awaiting that midnight deadline. And because four of Lee's followers had committed suicide in preparation for the rapture, police feared there would be mass suicides. So they blocked all city streets and more than 1,500 riot police and ambulances filled the street and more than 200 plainclothes detectives surrounded the mission. Well, midnight came. About 10 minutes after midnight, there was this teenage boy that stuck his head out the window and he shouted, nothing's happening. And by morning, everybody had left. Well, don't you listen to me this morning. One of these days, something will happen. It may not have happened as Mr. Lee predicted, but you mark this down. Jesus Christ announced that he was coming again, and he will come again. One day, something will happen, and he will not be He will return, and he will return on time. Can I get an amen right there? That is the promise of God. He will come again. But look at something else, and here's what I want you to see this morning. You not only see in verse 9 the promise of God, the promise that Jesus will return, but second of all, you see in verse 9 the patience of God. He magnifies and draws our attention to the patience of God. Look at the words in verse 9 where he said that he is long-suffering to us word. He is long-suffering to us word. And you see that word long-suffering, it simply means that God is patient. What Peter is telling us that God is a long-suffering God. He is telling us that God is a patient God. You'll find many times the Bible speaks about God being long-suffering and God being patient. Psalm 86, 15 said, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering. He is a long-suffering God. But look at the, uh, the matter here. Peter, as he deals with the return of Jesus Christ, he reminds us of God's patience. And there's a reason why. And I want to point it out to you. For example, first. He talks about and you will notice in verse 9 the objects of his patience the objects of his patience Peter speaks of God's long-suffering and patience now notice to us word you see that he talks about God being long-suffering and the objects of his long-suffering and patience is all mankind he is long-suffering to us word now listen this morning God is a patient God are you glad for that Aren't you thankful that God is a long-suffering God? He is a patient God. He is a God of judgment. The Bible tells us He's a God of judgment. And the Bible tells us that He's a God of wrath. But when the Bible tells us that God is long-suffering and when the Bible tells us that God is patient, it is simply indicating that even though He's a God of wrath, He is a God that is slow in judging us. And He is a God that is slow in giving us what we deserve. You mark this down. There is one thing that everyone of us today ought to shout for and give thanks to God for, and that is that God is patient and He's long-suffering to us. Because the truth of the matter is we'd all be in hell today if God were not a long-suffering and a patient God. I think about Robert Ingersoll, that noted agnostic, and he was a well-known agnostic who used to terrify his audiences by reminding them of Bible passages where God had judged people for their blasphemy and for their irreverence. And what he would do, he'd fill these great halls and he would reach into his pocket and he'd pull out his gold watch and he would clip-flip open the lid to that pocket watch. And then he would say to the crowd, he said, I'm going to curse God and I'm going to give God five minutes to strike me down dead. And then he would utter some blasphemy against God and then he would wait. One minute would pass by. Two minutes would pass by. Three minutes would pass by. You could feel the tension building there in his crowd. And four minutes, and then finally five minutes would pass by. And he would snap his watch shut, and then he would say to the crowd, There, you see, there is no God. For if there was a God, he would have struck me down dead. Well, someone told Joseph Parker about his actions. And Joseph Parker, that great British preacher, and they told him what Ingersoll said and what he had done. And I love the answer that Parker gave. He said, And did the American gentleman think that he could exhaust the patience of God in five minutes? I would say to you this morning, you better be glad that God's patience is not exhausted in five minutes. If it was, I mean, listen, if God was not patient and God was not long-suffering, as I said a moment ago, every one of us, if not all of us, would have been in hell today. Thank God he's patient. I ask you, how many of you accepted Jesus Christ the first time you had an opportunity? Most of us did. And else in verse 9, he not only, not only do we see the objects of his patience, but we see the objective of his patience. For notice what he had to say. Peter not only tells us that God is patient toward us or to usward, but he also tells us why God is patient. And he also tells us why God is long suffering. Why? He is not willing. Notice it. That any should perish. You'll know why God is a patient God. you don't know why God is a long-suffering God. Because he does not want one single person to go to hell and he doesn't want one single person to be left behind when he returns. God wants every person to be saved. He wants every man to be saved. He wants everybody to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. He is a patient God. He is a long-suffering God. Now listen, when Peter tells us that the Lord will not be tardy, he's reminding us that the Lord has predetermined or God has predetermined when the Lord will return. And God has set the date and God has set the hour that Jesus Christ is coming again. That's already settled, that is already determined and he will come the moment that God has set. But Peter also reminds us that the reason he has not already come, get this, the reason he has not already come is because he is not willing that any should perish understand this this morning jesus christ if he had wanted to and if god had so desired jesus christ could have already come back he could have already returned he could have come last year he could have come the year before people talk about signs and prophecies and of course Prophecy has never been one of my strong points, but I hear people talking about signs and talking about prophecy and so forth and all the things that are to be fulfilled and that which has been fulfilled that signals the nearness of the return of Jesus Christ. If I understand the Bible correctly, the majority of prophecy that has to do with the future has to do with things that will happen after Jesus Christ comes again. Are you listened to me? Are you with me this morning? I know you lost an hour's sleep. It's not going to help your beauty in it all, but I want you to stay with me this morning. And most of the things that the Bible talks about in prophecy, they point toward things that will happen after Jesus Christ comes again. If I understand my Bible correctly, there is not one thing that has to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back there's no prophecy there is no prophecy in the Bible that has that is yet to be fulfilled for the Lord to return everything has been fulfilled that is required the only reason he hasn't already come back is because he is not willing that any man should perish Peter twice talks about the long suffering of God first and second Peter here in our text in first Peter 3 9 also first Peter three twenty. turn back there for a moment There in 1 Peter 3.20, 1 Peter 3.20, he gives us an illustration of God's long-suffering. 2 Peter, he tells us that he is long-suffering. But in 1 Peter, he illustrates that long-suffering. And notice verse 20, and you see the illustration that he gives. We read in 1 Peter 3.20, which sometime were disobedient. When once the long-suffering of God waited. There's what patience is, God's patience He waits and he waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Now in 1 Peter 3.20, Peter tells us that the days of Noah were an example of God's long-suffering. You say, how were those days an example of the long-suffering of God? Well, there's a couple of things. For example, the Bible tells us that Noah built the ark during a period of time, during a period of 120 years. And not all right? It took 120 years, or it was during a time of 120 years that Noah built the ark. Now, my personal opinion, it did not take 120 years to build the ark. I don't think it would have taken Noah 120 years to build the ark. I believe he could have built it in a much, much briefer and shorter period of time. But he built as God gave him instructions. He built according to God's timetable and I believe the reason it took 120 years for the ark to be built is that God stretched out the building time and he stretched out that building time to 120 years to give men a chance to give men an opportunity to be saved God he was a God of judgment that's why he had to judge the earth but he was a patient God and he stretched out a building time so that men might be saved. Unfortunately, only Noah and his family were saved. That was one example. But there's another example of God's long suffering in the days of Noah. It has to do with a man by the name of Methuselah. Now, you know who Methuselah was. Methuselah was the oldest man that ever lived. He lived 969 years. Now, there's days I feel like I've lived that long, but Methuselah lived 969 years. He lived longer than any man in history. Now, the name Methuselah is an interesting name. It means he hath sent his death, and when he is dead, it shall come or it shall not come till he die. Now, that's an unusual name. How would you like to have the name? Hey, he has sent his death, and when he is dead, it shall come. How would you like to be called that? That was his name. That's what his name meant. When he is dead, his death is sent. When he is dead, it shall come. The name itself indicates that God sent his death. And when his death came, it came. What came? Most believe that what came was the flood of Noah's day. And that when Methuselah died, that's when the flood became. This is my opinion. My own personal opinion is that when Methuselah drew his last breath, the first drops of rain began to fall upon the earth. Now think with me for just a moment. What was the flood? God looked down and he saw a generation of society that had no room for him. He looked down and he saw that men were wicked and evil in his sight. And the very nature of God demanded that he punish sin. Because he's holy, because he's righteous, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And the very nature of God, as he looked down upon an evil earth, he had to judge that in the flood. That you read about in Genesis was the pouring out of God's wrath on a wicked and a corrupt earth. Now, when did that judgment begin to be poured out? When Methuselah died. Now, you let me ask you something, who lived longer than any man that ever lived? Methuselah. Do you think it is a coincidence that the man that lived longer than anybody on earth was Methuselah? Absolutely not. He the flood, the judgment of God hinged upon the death of Methuselah. Why did God let him live longer than anybody else? Because God is a long-suffering God and he is a patient God, not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God is a patient God. God is a long-suffering God god is a god that wants to save every man he's a righteous god and he will judge sin. he is a holy god and he will judge sin but god extends the opportunity and gives men the chance that they might be saved that's what's happening right now are you listening to me i believe this the only reason jesus hasn't already come is because god is patient The reason that we are not already in heaven that are saved is because God is long-suffering and He's not willing that anybody should perish. Amen? Look at the third and the final thing. You not only see in verse 9 the promise of God and the patience of God, but I just point out briefly in closing the provision of God. Look at the final words of verse 9. He said, but that all should come to repentance and this words and these words we see these two things you see the offer that god extends he is offering salvation to all men he has provided a way that men might be saved he has provided a way that men might be ready when the lord returns and all that he asks is that you turn to him that's what repentance is repentance is a turning from sin and turning to God all God wants you to do is to turn to him and take him as your Savior now here's the question this morning have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior have you been saved are you ready Jesus is coming again you listen to me Jesus is coming again This right here this is not a fairy tale that I'm preaching from this morning this is not a myth. This is not Aesop's fables. This is the Word of God. Amen. And he announces from cover to cover, I'm coming again. Now here's the issue. Are you ready? Have you been saved? Do you have everlasting life? If Jesus Christ were to come today, are you ready? Here's God's offer that is extended that all men might come to repentance. Not on the offer, but the opportunity that is extended. The opportunity that is extended For you notice that he says that all men should come to repentance might come to repentance all men that's the opportunity you realize this morning that no matter who you are no matter what you've done in life that God's offer is extended to you and God's opportunity has been given to you to come to Christ and to be saved That God in his patience and God in his long-suffering has not returned to this earth because God wants you to be saved. He has made the offer to you to be saved. He has given you the opportunity to be saved. If I could put it this way, God's leaving the door open for you. God is leaving the door open for you. Can I say it again? The only reason he hasn't come... There's not one thing in this Bible that has to happen or to be fulfilled for him to come. Everything's ready. The only reason he has not come is because he's leaving the door open for you. I think about Dr. Ivor Powell, a man from Wales, and many of you remember him. He spoke here so many times. And Dr. Powell, I think about him just about every day of my life. Dr. Powell was a master storyteller. He had a way of telling a story and his vocabulary, and he could tell a story and just make it come alive. He would paint it to where you could just about see the story that he was telling. I remember a story that he told, and it was a story he and a friend and a conversation they had had with an old fisherman in the village of Eymouth in southeast Scotland. Dr. Powell described the old fisherman as clad in dark blue jeans and a big navy blue jersey reaching to his chin. He was sitting outside a cottage overlooking the placid waters of the harbor. And in Dr. Powell's own words, a monumental, monumental pipe supplied the ananat vapor which curled lazily around his old unshaven face. They told the story of the conversation and what the old fisherman told them. The old fisherman told them of a morning that he remembered so well the fishing fleet had been idle for days the weather had been extremely bad and not a vessel had been to sea. the men especially the young men were impatient but on this particular morning or that particular morning the Sun was shining beautifully and the sea was as calm as a meal pond but the old fisherman said but the glass they should have seen the glass and the glass, of course, it was a seaman's term of how the sea is a dead calm. Looking out, it looked like a piece of glass. But the old fisherman said, but they should have seen the glass. The older man knew better, but the younger men were impatient. And to them, it was too lovely of a day to miss the chance of getting in a day of fishing. And the old fisherman said, ah, they went, all of them, and they never came back not a single ship came back see hours after they had left and they reached the fishing grounds the weather suddenly changed and a great storm churned the sea into a heaving mass and the men turned for home but it was too late their ships were smashed and driven on the rocks and the old man concluded the story by saying the rest of us were down at the water's edge waiting and hoping that some of the men would be washed ashore. We were ready to rush into the water to help them. Ah, mister, that was a bad day. That was. They wouldn't listen to us. And it cost them their lives. Now listen to me this morning. Just because he hasn't returned doesn't mean that he will not return. Do not mistake the glass. Or the calm, or the absence of his return as an indication that you do not live in dangerous times. There's a storm brewing on the horizon. It is a storm of God's relentless wrath poured out upon this world. It is a storm brewing when God will judge this world. But I want you to know something when he does. As for me, I'm going to be gone. I settled that a long time ago. Tomorrow, April the 2nd, 1972, at about 1225, I walked down an aisle, the old Boone Gospel Tabernacle, got on my knees and said, God, I don't want to go to hell. He saved me and he made me a child of God. And when he comes again, I'm going to be gone. Oh, he's coming again. Don't be left behind. Let's stand on our feet, please.